The experience of being human has many universal qualities that make it easier to learn together than apart. The purpose of Emotional Warrior Radio is to bring the learning processes one goes through in talk therapy out into the world so everyone has the opportunity for growth. Come and join us on this journey. Okay, welcome everybody to Emotional Warrior Radio. I have with me today my second guest in interview with someone that I am deeming emotional emotional warrior, meaning that they have come through so much in their lifetime and gone full circle in developing themselves after serious trauma or serious hardship. And there's so much to learn from these individuals that I'm interviewing now that um, I think it's just as important as doing the one-on-one work that I've been doing as well. So you can learn from these experiences. People are incredibly open and there's a lot of sincerity and candor and also hoping that you can identify with some of these things. So you as well, don't feel isolated in your experience, but see that there is a path out. So please welcome my guest, Taylor Berryman, the host of the Poptimist with Taylor Berryman. <laughs> Here we go. And and Taylor, tell us a little bit more. See, this is what I like to talk about, the warrior part. Like, where are you now as a person? Like, what, the, what are your, what kind of things are you doing? Like, what's exciting in your life? What are you doing? So I am uh, the host of the podcast, and I'm a musician, um, I play bass. I also am a producer and a songwriter. Uh, so I do a bunch of different music things. I've always been interested in music. It's always been one of the things I've used to kind of get me through life. And on May 13th, I am releasing with, uh, with this band Norfleet, um, a single I produce called uh, Mystery Girl. So go check that out. Nice. Where would that be? Is that on? You'll find it everywhere. Um, so YouTube, uh, Apple, Spotify. Uh, yeah, it's the band is called Norfleet, and uh, it's it's my good buddy Josh. Um, but yeah, it was my first shot at really trying to produce something, and it, it turned out pretty good. That's sweet. Awesome. Definitely. And then two. How long have you been doing the podcast? You have quite a following. Yeah, so I've been doing it for five years, but I didn't really start doing it seriously until the beginning of 2021, mm-hmm. where I I've just felt like long-term my future was going to be with the podcast and it was going to give me the freedom to do music. Mm. And because I started doing it weekly, I needed to book more than just musicians. Like I'd always had musicians on. It's very easy to book in Nashville, Mm. but it got to a place where I was complacent with it. So I started started having to look to other resources uh, for business owners, mental health professionals, just other things that interested me. Right, right. And then the, that's the place where we connected too, because I was on your podcast, I yes. think, um, in the last couple of weeks, and that's on Spotify as well. That was a great discussion. And uh, it went so many directions that were organic. And I felt like 
but still a lot of information about how to think about your mental health, how to think about everything from <laughs> dating to picking a therapist to understanding yourself. I mean, that's what's so cool about the conversation, I guess, that we're starting is, is it's, it's about life in a way that's not so compartmentalized. So I, again, like mental health to me and the awareness that we're spreading is education about being a human and the life that we're living, not about me being a therapist or, you know, or you being a musician. It's it, that's, there's something about where we are in the, the professions that we've chosen that have a lot to do with our past. But I think when we're, we're doing this work, we're really able to speak to our human experience, which so many people, you know, again, have been really tied up in keeping that behind closed doors and playing the roles of student, of, of a role in the family, a role professionally. And this experience has been sequestered to, you know, a therapy room. So I, I'm really happy that, you know, you're doing this work too. I think the more people that can speak openly about this and see how important it is, the more we're able to, to reach. So one of the topics that I found in the podcast that you sent me about, you know, talking about your experience, and maybe you can give us a little bit of a background, um, was... <sighs> I mean, and I'm going to use an old Freudian principle because I think it's easy to use and it's a simple metaphor that's, um, I think, represented again and again. It's called the superego, where we, we, we need to talk about that. We need to have more of a conversation about what is our inner authority made up of and who tells you what to do in your mind, who talks, what, what type of voice, what kind of thoughts come through when you are waking yourself up in the morning, when you make a mistake, when you, um, you feel insecure, when you're not feeling good about it, when anything <laughs> negative happens, what's the voice like and, and what's going on there? Because a lot of times the super ego is tied to a lot of different mental health disorders, but I think we have to start looking at it differently as well, what is it really made up of? Because it, I, dealing with depression with an SSRI or dealing with depression with understanding where this is coming from, I think need to coexist, if not really look towards the, the, the past in some ways to integrate that information. So that's where I kind of want to lead off and then see where we go. And, and so I, I think talking about your experience a little bit from zero to seven and the father figure that you implicitly unconsciously, you know, experienced, meaning like you were the sponge for. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I think of the, the super ego, it's like a reptilian response. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it's like a, a primal part of ourselves, like an unaware, just an unaware part that we we're, we don't consciously choose, you know what I mean? And right. <laughs> like people talk a lot about free will and I do believe in free will to a certain degree, but what is free will in regards to the superego? You know yeah. what I mean? 
Um, but yeah, so like to start off, just like a, a background on my childhood. So I don't really have a relationship with my mom anymore. My biological father, he was a drug addict um, and a police officer. Mm -hmm. uh, so my earliest memories of him are really just him never being around. He wasn't there. And when he was, he was very unstable and erratic uh, mm -hmm. because he was a drug addict. Right. And, you know, in, right, right there we see, and you spent how long with him until what age? I think it was maybe six. Mm -hmm. Before that had to, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not going to last for long, but we, but we already, but I think that you already have mentioning two country, like the contradiction that we experience and in this idea I think superego is also full of, if especially if your representation of it was supposed to be an authority that is respected, that has power, that protects and serves, but their behavior underneath that people don't see is completely corrupt, destructive, oh, yeah. ter terrifying, all the things, loss of control. So that's an unavailable and all of these things. So I, I, this is where I think people really start to struggle when you don't have a positive representation, when you don't have a, a representation of a father figure or an authority that you look to emotionally from the very beginning to, you know, supply this primal part of your mind with rational judgment, you're left with what? I mean, and I think that that's kind of like, that's the question is like, what do you fill that space with then? Because a child can actually see that this is not something they, they're not able to, to hold on to and respect. This is hypocrisy. Yeah. Well, it, for me, it was just like, I didn't even know that that had existed until like, cause after my mom divorced my biological father, she got remarried to a guy who beat her every single night and was a bad alcoholic. So she got into that relationship. Um, and that was probably for about a year. And then she left him and started dating. Um, like who I say that the man is that, that my dad is. So like she got remarried a third time and, with this particular guy, like my dad, he was in the Navy. He adopted me. He, he was my father figure. So I was very lucky to have that. I feel like that's not typically what ends up happening in those situations. You just see like, especially for young men, like they just further and further go off the, off the reservation right. themselves if they didn't have that. But I had someone who was like, no, you got to do this, try this, fix this. And was also very supportive, encouraging and nurturing. Mm. But on the other hand, I had my mom who was very mentally ill at the same time. So like when I was a kid, I didn't have a good, like ages zero to seven, I didn't have a good male role model. And I also didn't have a good mom. My mom, she was just, even more erratic. She made the situations right. more chaotic. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was very scary. I remember this one time. Um, 
So basically, my biological father, he got kicked off the police force because they did a psych evaluation of him. Right. He was going crazy because he had done a uh, air quote cocaine bust where he kept the cocaine and was starting to sell it. And he was Mm -hmm. doing all this crazy stuff in the background. Um, So they ended up getting divorced. He was kicked off the police force. My mom, she... In my, to be to be in defense of my mom, she had a hard life, just the same way, different, worse than I did. Like if you want to compare, but um, she would like very smothering when I was a kid, and the more that I became like had my own views about the world or started wondering and asking questions, the further and further we grew apart. Interesting. That was probably when I was around 12 or 13. And all these questions I had about life were rejected. And it wasn't just about our life. Like I would, I would voice dissatisfaction with the way things were and say like something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't seem right. And I would get yelled at, I would get punished for it. Hmm. So I learned early on too, that if you talk about, problems uh you get in trouble but i don't know what it is maybe it's nature or nurture whatever my personality is i would say i'm default aggressive for most things in life so Mm -hmm. whenever someone is telling me uh don't say this don't do this my 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 thing is i usually double down on whatever it is (laughs) yeah um you know but i but to come back to how does this like, yes, in, in some ways inform that super ego, it's not just male authority. No. It's both. It's, it's a conglomerate you know, of both anyone that says no to you, anyone, I, that's what I kind of, you know, anyone that has, can tell you not to speak or tell you not to feel a certain way or don't talk about this or anyone that says, no, you can't have the cookie or no, that's not right. You know, anyone that is dictating, you know, the experience that you can have as a child is the authority. Yeah. And, and there, you know, in the, the problem is, I mean, in so many ways, we're adults, we can look back at this your mother is experiencing massive amounts of shame and within herself. Absolutely. She, and then at the same time, anger and self-victimization. And she wants nothing to do with it. Her way of dealing with it is completely disavow and to stay drinking or maybe stay do. I don't know if she had some sort of coping. Yes. It sounds like she's pills. She's yeah. Pills. Okay. So that's it. You know, she's going to numb out a child is very, very aware there. They are like you, you said before, they are the sponge. They have all of these questions and they're really trying to figure out what's going on. We're meaning making machines. And I, I really feel that in some ways it's like, okay, so instead of making meaning for your child and letting them know that that was a mistake and this is difficult, but now we have 
you know, this person helping us in our lives, but, you know, we can understand that in this way, answering questions, making sense for your children is like the top priority for, should be the top priority for a parent because children are looking for that. If you shut them down and say, no, we can't go there. What are you talking about? That's delusional. Let it go. Whatever your defensive spiel is, the child is left with chaos in their mind about yes. the emotional experience, how they, they did it. They're going to take it personally. They're not going to be able to let it go. It can turn into obsessive thinking. It can, it can turn into, again, starting to feel like there's something wrong with me. So there's now you left your, the child to their own devices and the devices uh, meaning are, are still, very chaotic. They're not, they're, they're, they're traumatized. Even our, our meaning making machine is still totally erratic. We're not really doing it in a way that's like, Oh, okay. I got this. And I think we yeah. struggle with that a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely did. And I think the interesting thing is you like, I had an automatic, like as I headed into my teen years, I had a huge distrust of authority. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to listen to anybody. I wasn't really like a bad kid. You know, I didn't, I didn't get into trouble or anything like that. I guess the kind of trouble I would get into was just questioning the systems and seeing whatever the flaws were and whatever the systems were at hand and pointing them out to adults that were around me, whether they be teachers or administrators or any of that. Mm. And I, I was armed with, uh, with intelligence, really. I was armed with intelligence in a wit that I didn't know how to handle at that age either. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was almost too smart for my own good. Well, what do you think that you were doing? I think that that's, that's a kind of, that's a very clear example. Oh yeah. You went around pointing out flaws and other authorities. What was yeah. the feeling you got to have when you did that? Uh, I guess if really like being honest with myself, it was uh, a feeling like I had some kind of power or control in life, you know, because I, I had zero power and control at home. And I would do that with my mom constantly, too, whenever mm. things didn't make sense. Because um, like different people have different responses. In some ways, I shut down. But my whole thing was... Um, it was a fight to the death. I was like, we're going to fight about this until one of us loses. Oh, right. Okay. So like, that was always my approach to any kind of like situations of conflict where I was just ready to bare knuckle, not, not actually bare knuckle brawl with someone. Right. But I was ready to, uh, to take whatever punishments could be doled out to me as long as I was heard. I didn't care. Like I, I never really cared about consequences as a kid. And I knew I would get in trouble for saying different things or doing different things, mm -hmm. but I was always trying to prove a point, you know, and even now I would, I would consider myself uh, a man of uh, conviction. You know, it's like, <laughs> if, if I will make a moral stand somewhere and like, a lot of these themes ended up repeating themselves in my, in my life. And 
Mm-hmm. I'm grateful to it to a certain degree. If you want me to go off on an example of my adult life where this happened, I'd love to. <laughs> you would love to? Oh, yes, yeah. please do. Continue. So I was already in Nashville. I was working at an apartment complex. I might have talked about this on the podcast episode that you listened to. I'm not sure if I did or not. Okay. But basically there was a situation. This was the most corrupt line of work that I was ever involved in was working for apartments. It was so scummy, Mm -hmm. but uh, basically I had this, this beef with this one manager. She was an assistant manager and she was disappearing for a good chunk of the day, every single day, as were the maintenance guys. Mm-hmm. We had, it was probably like about 400 apartments and close to 200 had the ACs down in the summer and the maintenance guys weren't doing anything. Oh, wow. They weren't fixing it. It had came out that this assistant manager was basically having like, I don't know how to really say this in a nice way. Is this like a PG 13 podcast or anything like, like (laughs) that? No, I don't believe so. Okay. So this assistant manager was taking these maintenance guys and having gangbangs in these apartments during work hours. Yeah. Um, it came out, she got fired and none of the maintenance guys did. And I, Hated this manager. I did not get along with her. She was always just very flirty and kind of annoying and sexual to me. And I was not into it. Mm -hmm. But I made a moral stand in that moment. I was like, if you fire one of them, you need to fire all of them. I was disgusted. Like whatever people do, I don't really care. But Mm -hmm. A, I was pissed off because it was affecting my work and I worked for commission. There was people that were getting mad coming in to the apartment offices while I was taking people on tours and being like, our AC has been down for three weeks and it's 85 degrees out. So basically like, and this job was run by all women, like the only males Mm. were the maintenance guys. So there you go with the Freudian thing again. Yeah. And I was making a moral stand. I, I, um, and I would still do the same thing. Uh, cause I believe like strongly that it was a wrong situation and this woman should not have been fired. Um, I mean, she was predatory. I feel like in what she was doing as were the maintenance guys, mm-hmm. but I just believed I was like willing to die on this hill. And I was the only one who was saying anything. Everybody, everybody knew it was like a whole thing. Everybody was talking about it, but I was the only one who was saying, this is wrong. This is illegal. Um, And I put a giant X on my back when I did that because I wasn't not willing to play ball with them. Okay. I was no longer willing to play ball and do all the shady stuff that they wanted me to do. Um, They would ask people to alter paperwork and lie and all this stuff. And they tried to write me up multiple times to fire me. I eventually did get fired from this job. Wow. But anytime they sat me down to try and write me up, I, I was just, I stood strong in my conviction. I was like, I feel like I'm being targeted because I spoke up. I was like, I only want to talk about this in writing. 
Um, that's when I learned anytime dealing with a business, get anything in writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and they, they would try and write me up and they would pressure me into signing like these papers saying I did this wrong or that wrong. And I said, no, I was like, I'll only sign that if you guys write down that you had fired a woman uh, who was performing like sex acts on men during apartments during work hours. And I feel like I'm being targeted for speaking up on that. Right. And it was so, I don't know what it is, but I, I feel like it's almost a blind conviction that I have that saved my ass so many times. Cause I don't know how I survived even that situation other than just being like, this is the only thing I really knew is that this is wrong. And it disgusts me. Um, the fact that this woman got fired and the guys didn't get fired. Right. The, the blind conviction. And I think the die on the Hill and the, and the fight to the death and, and these kinds of all of these like, idioms that you're using uh-huh. speak to an experience yeah, they, 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 they write, they speak to like, and this is where I think that the, a lot of times what I find is that there's a, before we take the seat of our super ego, we really embody that seat. We kind of, we have to see who's there first. Yeah. And the person that we've created the, the thing, the, the object, the, the, you know, whatever, the, the psychological construction that sits there now is, is full of, of this need for power, yeah. you know, and, and, and to, to put themselves out there at this, the, this distance. So this is the thing about, you know, and I want to kind of bring it back to the trauma aspect of things. Yeah. When you feel completely threatened, when you don't feel that people are protecting you, that they could destroy you emotionally or that they're trying to, you know, you're what I call your, your, your tolerance for pain, your tolerance for, you know, you know, anger, your tolerance for, um, you know, even fighting to a certain point is, is really stretched like beyond where usually people feel anxiety and say, you know, it's probably time for me to go. You know, I really don't. There's a lot of different options, but this is this, there is something about this that you're able to feed this part of you. Yeah. Right. And these experiences, they're, they're gratifying something and you're sticking around for that fight. Yes. 100%. Because like now with perspective, I ended up staying at that job for another year after it happened. I am it, so surprised. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very indicative of this. So I was there and I was ready to always fight. And like they would come to me with 9 million different things of what I was doing wrong. And I, I'm the kind of person, if someone comes to me and says, oh, you need to, to fix this, you're doing, I'm super open to that. Even at that age, I was 24, 25, very open to that. But it was to the point of harassment. And it just created, like, it was a recreation of the relationship with my mother, Mm -hmm. where I was victimized in this situation. But what I learned, the biggest thing I learned from this Mm. was 
breaking even is a victory in getting away from a bad situation. If you can break even and get away from something, you're way better off. And this was like Hmm. right at that time I, I was starting to shed the pain because this was a huge trigger in my life for that growth and that change. Right. And there was other things going on in my dating life at the same time where it was all these repeated themes kept happening. And I'm honestly surprised that I realized it. Um, I knew I was in so much emotional pain that I had to change. I didn't care what I had to do or even if the pain got worse. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get through it. Right. And I, th I think that that's where the emotional pain and the, the, well, that comes from a, what I call like a repeating cycle sometimes. And I recall in my own life, because I don't, you know, I come from similar levels of trauma, but there's, you know, there was a time where the cycle started to really become more rapid. Like before I was doing the cycle at a year rate Oh, and then it came to six months and I could recognize it. Then it was at three and then it was at one. Uh-oh. And now you're just, you're, you're, you're sucked in and it's, and now it's hammering you. Yeah. So at that point, something does need to happen. There needs to be a complete, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's both, I mean, and I will say this is, it, you know, cause I do think that there's a, uh, a very different type of path. People that have really suffered travel as far as their emotional evolution is concerned. And I really do believe that there is something spiritual even about it at some point and an awakening needs to happen. And it's so deep. There's, there wasn't this like everything was taken care of and you're emotionally well and you understand you're safe. There's not, we're not living in that level of, of reality. The, the, the levels of reality are so much, <laughs> so penetrable, right? We yeah. can go into different spaces. And that is, again, to reorganize from the ground up takes a tremendous amount of strength. Um, and, and, res and perseverance. So I, I do think that that, that that's something that I don't think the super ego is so involved in until we get back up to a level that it can start to <laughs> come in again. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to, you, you have to be able to notice those patterns. And I think like going back to the super ego thing, my super ego was causing me so much subconscious pain. Right. That I, I just, it was like I was saying earlier, I just needed to make a change. I had to. Um, and I, I just looked like after I had gotten fired from that job, I had gotten into a spat with my boss and I called her a pill popping drunk, which was true. It was not untrue. Um, that I realized like, how did I end up in this situation for so long? It was like being in a, a an abusive relationship. Incredible. Like I was being mentally and emotionally abused by this job. And they, uh, they really praised all of my worst, like lowest form traits as a human being too. Mm -hmm. Like, because it was a sales job and you could, you could do sales in a moral way. 
Mm-hmm. But they they like encouraged me to be sneaky and underhanded and to trick people, and they liked it when I did. Right. Um. And I was I was good at it. Of course, like of course. Mm-hmm. Um. Given the situation that I had grown up in, it w- it was just completely a survival a survival mechanism. You know, it was the lowest form of myself, and they praised me for it. Mm-hmm. Well, but in the, in some ways too, I think that that's really symbolic. People can understand this in general as the narcissistic mother yeah. is generous with praise when you are a good servant of 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 the gossip, of the malice, of of the denial, of of serving, you know, as the container for their shit. Now. When it comes up to, you know, a work environment, you know, I can see now that 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 passion that you had to stay, we call this like mastering trauma, but I also call it an autoimmune like response in the brain because there's no mastering that. You're never going to get the person to see you and understand themselves and say, oh, you're right, Taylor, I was wrong, like, which is the ultimate thing for the soup, like a a tyrannical superego is to get the I'm right. And you say, and narcissists saying they're wrong. Never happens. (laughs) Never happens. Well, that's why I was saying that breaking even is a victory when getting away from that situation Mm -hmm. and they like it was so tied up like i was living at the apartments like living so it was just an area where they knew they had a certain level of control over me too wow yeah it was horrible like it was horrible and of course like being in nashville simultaneously I was um, just on like Tinder, going out on a ton of dates, hooking up with girls, and I was getting into crazier and crazier dating situations. Hmm. And it was so far morally removed from the kind of situations I wanted to be in. You know what I mean? I was just so like, why am I even seeing this person? And I mean... I could go into a whole a whole thing about dating and relationships in regards to my mom. Um, mm-hmm. Because like the one thing my counselor told me was, or my therapist told me was, um, he said, you're never going to have a healthy relationship as long as your mother's in your life. And looking back on that now, he was saying that you're not going to realize what the pain that you're in that's caused by your mother until after you're out of that situation. Mm -hmm. And two, I want to, I want to mention this because I've worked with men on this issue before. And I found that even if they are looking for love and companionship and, and uh, a partner, the, all the, the right ideas, What's actually symbolized at the deeper level of their mind is the like the archetype of their mother that needs to be deconstructed because it's both what she never gave them and 
what it is she was. So it's this evil depriving thing. Then you're like dating this woman and, you know, she seems nice, but then she does this kind of weird thing over here. And you're like, you know, what's that? You know, like, again, there's also kind of a disgust in the symbol of woman too, because there's, you're trying, but there's, if you haven't really worked through, I think, you know, individuating your identity Absolutely. right from her way of projecting herself into you absolutely yeah well it's a combination of disgust and attraction right you know, you know what i mean <laughs> which is a deadly combination like yeah there was this one particular dating situation i got into i was probably 20 or 21 and it was this girl Looking back on it, she had a lot of trauma herself. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but she um, she was really just mean to me and put me down a lot. Hmm. Uh, but I was used to that with my mom. So that was what was familiar with me. And I was like, oh, she, she loves me and I love her and we're going to be together forever and all this stuff. But I, here's another another. The way that this ended, it was the a cold, hard bitch slap from reality. Mm. She had joined the military and was away at training camp and had contacted me and was like, hey, I need to talk to you about something, which is never good. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she said something happened last night and I don't know how to feel about it. And I need to talk to you about it. And I was like, immediately panicked. I was living in Colorado at the time. Mm. And she had told me she had had a threesome with these two guys that were in the military with her at this training camp. Mm. And it triggered a, psychosis for me that I didn't even know was possible that I could go into. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know it was possible for me to be cheated on, mm -hmm. let alone she hooks up with two guys at the same time. And it, it shattered me mentally and emotionally. I mean, looking mm -hmm. back on it now, it's, it's funny because it was just like, like I don't know why it's funny. It just is <laughs> like you, you live and you learn, you know, like yeah. I had no idea that this, this could even happen to me that I could, I could receive that phone call from a girl that I loved or thought that I loved. Right. Well, she, she had you thinking something. And, and I, I, I think though that the two, but in the reference to the super ego again, the the values you know that are instilled in that kind of again the the more grandiose one yeah and that's what we need as traumatized children you know is something much bigger like a godhead in our head yes um can't imagine what, what somebody telling us what to do even at a, at a minor level let alone you know really totally you know betraying and it's funny how much a denial rose-colored glasses hoping that per, or assuming that person is that that they're saying believing people 
like you said, the putting you down because, well, it's fine. I have a big bandwidth for that. I can love someone that's hurtful to me. Yeah. And, but can, you know, but then it's, it just is a huge, I also find that the superego and psychosis, you know, go hand in hand where, you know, if somebody really violates a, a value or a boundary that's and that becomes a boundary violation, like all hell will break loose. Meaning that I want to destroy you right now. That's or, or destroy this situation or just rip it to shreds. And like, that's why I call it kind of a superpower. If it's not handled in a way, like you, you obviously bring it back down to size yes. and understand this is a good, good thing. Cause now I'm not going to be with this person anymore. Wasting yep. time. Yeah. So what it, it, what it triggered for me. And at the time, like I, I couldn't even compute what it was, what was happening, but th this episode of like psychosis was also somewhat drug induced because I was in Colorado and smoking weed constantly. Mm -hmm. And it was like high grade medical stuff. Right. Um, so I was just so blind, like blindsided by this. Mm. And looking back on like the apartment situation, that was more of like a long-term uh, IV drip of psychosis. Right. This was an immediate, like, you just got hit by a bus. Mm -hmm. And plus I was younger when that happened too. So, mm -hmm. but it, it, I had said things to her that I would never even repeat to another human being. I, I, it was a moment where I was the worst version of myself again. Mm -hmm. And I was so heartbroken and my ego was so shattered right. that I didn't know how to even compute. Right. I was just dumbfounded. Well, that's, but again, that, but that's, I think it's important to understand though your ego being shattered is not a, like, this is why I, I get, I'm very passionate about emotion because I really find it to be minimized, marginalized, defended against. And, and again, emotion is incredibly powerful. It motivates our actions, our thoughts, you know, it organize, it, it really is like a grade of gas in our, in our tank. You know, and and when you when the the ego fragments like that, that's destroy that you're destroying. You know, that's not like that's fight or flight. So I'm just, yeah. I guess, in some ways, what you're saying during that time is you're fighting instead of flying. So the fight is I'm you've destroyed me, and now I must destroy you. I mean, yeah. meaning like I have to fight for my life. Mutually assured destruction. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that this is why, you know, in some ways too, I mean, the, the act that she did and the act that woman was doing and your mother and all sorts of, you know, where in, and why is this showing up again and again for you? And, and certain things that you also were struggling with. So this is, this is where it's like, it, you're really looking, I think too, at what's love, what's being lovable, what's, 
loving? What is that emotion? Because it's it, sometimes when we d- are denied it, we can fi- we only find it through merging states. So mentally merging, you know, even with with looking at something or talking to someone or being close to someone, but also physical. You're just immediately wanting to merge in order to, and women suffer from this a lot, not being able to speak, especially codependent women to their feelings or having, you know, proper understanding of themselves. So there's a boundary. They immediately have to give up themselves in order to feel like they're wanted or worth something or that that's secure for them to let somebody merge with them. Oh yeah. No, I mean, when my mom, she uh she really didn't like me expressing any kind of emotion so it was like i learned at a young age to shut that down like i was told like if i if i had cried or if i was upset with her about something or in any kind of emotional state she would say oh you're uh you're a bitch you should have been born a girl all this stuff like my whole life you know what I mean? It really just royally fucked me up. Like, mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to compute emotions and I kept them so buried deep down inside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, to survive her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was to survive that situation. Mm-hmm. So, and of course you meet, normal healthy women out in the world that you want to date and they want you to have emotions they want to hear like i've never had a problem expressing really what i think but i had a lot of trouble expressing what i feel i would do it in a very chaotic way um and like in speaking in broader terms of our society right now too you look at all this stuff on the news about school shooters and all these different things that are happening. Sad men are dangerous men in our society. And we have to figure out how to fix this problem. Mm -hmm. And like, when you say that publicly now, people are like, Oh, so it's women's fault. No, it's not women's fault, but women will be, victimized by these men if they're not fixed so we need some form of healthy masculinity in order for it to be okay for women you know what i mean yeah and vice versa absolutely i think that's my my whole feed is about you know on tiktok is really about wait a second there's something going on behind closed doors that we're we're just hammering at each other about who's right who's wrong how to stay stupid Right. And, and, and you see everybody justifying just this war of the sexes, even within their own families. Oh yeah. Right. And so I, I do, I absolutely think that this, this need, the people are starting to understand the consequences because they care about their children, not because they care about their spouse as much. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I see a little bit of that, but it really caring about their children, they'll do the work themselves in order not to be that to them and see if they can't create a different experience. And if even that's where we start, that's where we start because the boys become the men that become, you know, again, really, yes, self-victimizing, self-destructive 
and and so do women. So, I mean, and that's the thing is that maybe there's, you know, a narcissistic mother is, is going to create a codependent daughter with, with tendencies as well, that there's, there's so much that is, that needs to be reworked as far as understanding what your job is as a parent. If you go to your work and you do it well, you can come home and do it well. It's not rocket science. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we all should, what's rocket science is rocket science. If we could still do that, why can't we teach our children how to think about themselves and the experiences they're having? It's not that hard, uh, but we have to be comfortable with our experiences and where we're at. And, and I think in some ways, like, you know, even if we're starting in this place where we're looking at how do I understand love? Oh, it's based on all of these, you know, experiences and, and presumptions. And then I'm, I'm trying to, you know, work it out in this way, but it's not working. So we, we're always willing to work with ourselves more. I think that's so important, mm -hmm. but so in some ways, I mean, as, as far as for the audience, is there something that you can say that helps them understand like a process that you use to, I mean, cause I know for a fact, yes, still here with me, I, I still have challenges in my life that Absolutely. I have to ap apply my skills to every day or sometimes slip back. So, well, I think a big thing for me is journaling, mm -hmm. um, just getting out of my mind, how I'm feeling on paper and being able to let it out and work it out in real time, that is huge. I mean, of course, therapy, like I always recommend, like anybody go to therapy. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just good to have a way to let things out. And for me, I was, I was like, I was lucky to have an outlet in music. Mm -hmm. So I, I had that, but I think just finding something that you can kind of, do to express yourself with the um with the arts is good whether it's painting or drawing or um writing whatever it is right so you know what i'm hearing though is like there needs to be an expressive outlet absolutely 100 percent. verbally mentally emotionally creatively you know and 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 that in it out of itself then is self or is self-organizing. Yeah. It's integrating, you know, your experience. And as, as long as there's this outlet, you can, you can continue to grow. And, and I yes. think too, that the idea of journaling for the sake of, again, trying to take a kind of a feeling or a thought form, which we, maybe we can have like in our minds in some ways, like, Oh, okay. I, I get it. I get it. Why would I need to write it? But you don't get it yet. It's if it's not verbalized, mentalized, then a lot of times it's not organized enough to really communicate it to another person effectively. And like you said before, it comes out kind of chaotic, especially yeah. in the beginning. So this is a great way of like practicing before you really speak to your partner as well, or anyone really. I mean, about no. I, I think it's super important to uh, to get those ideas out and to be able to look 
down on them and like read back on them and see like, okay, I, what I would always try and do is figure out how am I wrong about this? Like, how am I wrong in this situation? Mm. And then it's, it's like the scene of a crime. Whenever I have an issue in my life, I feel like I have to go back. I'm like Batman, you know, doing the detective work. It's like, okay, this is over here and this is over here. And these two things don't make sense, but they're connected somehow. Right. Right. But, and, and then I think bringing this all full circle is starting to create a sense of self-empathy yes. and understanding when you're being critical of yes. yourself and, and also considering that you never knew this is the first time you're seeing with fresh eyes, like the mind just doesn't present itself to you that way or, or events need to unfold experience must happen for you to connect the dots. Yeah. So, absolutely. right. So the, 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 I think minimizing of shame and, and self-criticism and understanding that it, it all is there regardless of other people experiencing it or not, not comparing ourselves to others and knowing that our emotional experiences is, is, is really important for us to evolve. And this is where, like I say, individuation, becoming an individual that is not your mother, not your father and, and taking all of these experiences to become not as this isn't, this is kind of the exercise of autonomy and being like a sovereign entity where you've, you've really done so much work by the end that you can look back at that and say, I've, I've, I'm really no longer identified with that experience though. I can reference it with empathy. Yes, for sure. I think it, empathy is really the, uh, the key word there because empathy was never something like in order to have empathy, you have to be shown empathy. Mm -hmm. And I had no empathy growing up. And of course, mm -hmm. everything was a big secret as far as what I was thinking and what I was feeling. It's hard for me sometimes even still to be like, I, I do have that self critical voice. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, it makes me very productive and I can feel now where I'm like, I'm kind of abusing myself with this voice right now. Yes. But that is from learning, you know, learning that I have a tendency to do that and be very self-critical. Yeah. And I think that that's what will end in some ways too. That's exactly the switch you need to have. These can be superpowers. The fact that, you know, the, the superego can be something that really creates such drive towards productivity, but at the same time, you've got to be able to manage it in the volume. And as soon as you do that, well, then you're in charge. If, the, if you're not in charge of the volume and it's always just being turned up, turned up, then you're not. So that's, that's the kind of, that's the fun part of being gone through. I mean, having to go through so much. You actually do have, I think, a, a incredible repertoire of emo, you know emotional experience that you can draw from to to push you to new heights. Absolutely. So, yes. All right. Thank you so much, Taylor, for this conversation and discussion. I think it was. Thank incredible. you. I appreciate it.
Absolutely. And we will talk again, I'm quite sure. Bye, everybody.